Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much as always for being here. Hope you're not laughing too hard. You could do yourself some damage. I would recommend just trying to keep it on an even keel. You don't want to burst a blood vessel or give yourself an ulcer or end up with dusty clothes and a perforated sphincter because you have quite literally been like an emoji rolling on the floor laughing your ass off. Whatever else you think about emojis, they've told us that there are lots and lots of ways to display your laughing. There's just regular smiling, there's the squinty eyes kind of laughing, there's the one tear laughing, the two tears rolling down your face laughing, the two tears rolling down your face with the squinty eyes with your head turned slightly sideways laughing, all of these ways that we have nowadays to express just how funny we find something. And if that something is the end of a football club which has caused us and the football world a lot of pain down the years, I think we might have to invent some new emojis about how to express just how funny it is. Is it even possible to create an emoji which shows you with the squinty eyes and the tears coming out of your face because you're laughing that hard and your head turned to one side, but also slapping your knee, but then stopping because you're laughing so hard you can't catch your breath and you think, oh, holy shit, I might actually die here. I can't breathe. What's going on? And then you remember the funny thing and you start laughing again and then you puke all over the floor because you're laughing so hard and just the sight of the puke makes you puke even more and then you're laughing at the puke and you're laughing at the funny thing and you're slapping your sides and you're rolling around in the puke and the dust. And Can you do that in one emoji? Not sure that you can. But someone out there should give it a try because um, I think it could be well used, certainly by me. Um, I'm sitting here covered in dust and puke and with tears dried on my face because of all the laughing. But I had no cartoon way to express that. Makes me feel a, a little bit sad, I guess. But then I remember again and I start laughing. So it's all fine. Anyway, we are going to talk that, of course. Um, plenty more to discuss as well as we look ahead to what's going to be a very busy week for Arsenal. Three big games coming up. Um, and we're going to talk about that and much more. So we're just going to get on with the show. And uh, it's my pleasure to invite back to talk about Chelsea, to talk about Champions League, Arsenal and lots more. Clive Palmer. Hi, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. We, we have to start. We are recording on Thursday afternoon, and we can't ignore the 
the very sanctioned elephant in the room, which of course is what's happened with Roman Abramovich. He has been sanctioned by the UK government. There are implications of varying degrees for Chelsea. Depending on who you read, everything will be okay, or it's going to be terrible for them. They're going to end up in administration, docked points perhaps, uh, sent to oblivion. Who knows? The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But what do you make of it? Because it's taken them some time, hasn't it? Uh, you know, they could have got here perhaps a little bit quicker. Yeah, the, probably the people that made these decisions have probably been watching the uh, Sky and BBC news channels and thinking, crikey, this is getting serious in Ukraine and um, we need to do something. And they've finally done something because giving uh, Roman time to take his money away and go back to his, his yacht is not really going to look good for for any government, you know. So, mm. um not before time. i got to be honest with you, I have sort of mixed feelings, Andrew, because me, you, and many of the people listening have been through a lot of Chelsea pain over the last 15 to 20 years. Yes. And uh, much of that has been funded by ill-gotten gains. And it really does um, almost put an asterisk around it all, in my opinion. I'm not sure that's too harsh, but I'm, I, those scars are deep, mate. You know, those scars are deep, and... And we've been laughed at, ridiculed, and because um, our position in the game has been usurped by Chelsea, uh, won European Cup twice. We're still waiting, mate, aren't we? Yeah. We're still waiting. And um, it does make you think massively about what does the Premier League really stand for? You know, um, when are they going to have a proper fit and proper person's reviewing place because it does really make you question what is this all about you know we sort of know but this is really brought mm. into the limelight where do you stand on the idea you know that i i think you're right what what chelsea have achieved over the last 19 years while abramovich has been there i think it does come with an asterisk i mean at the end of the day you've got to put 11 players out on the pitch but when you can afford 22 of the best players in the world two for every position um you know, it makes your life a, a little bit easier. Um, I know there'd be sympathy will be in short supply for Chelsea, the football club itself, and I certainly don't have any. And like you, I bear the scars of what what's happened over the last, you know, 20 years or so and the way that they came to um, prominence from a position where, you know, they weren't really um, going to do what they've done, right? Uh so it all does come with an asterisk for me. And, and certainly the Mourinho years were particularly painful and, and ones which uh, I have zero sympathy for Chelsea, for their fans, for the football club or anything else like that. But at the end of the day, you don't choose your owner, right? So yeah. how do you, you must have mates who are Chelsea fans. Um, how do you feel about it from that perspective? Because from an Arsenal point of view, we had our own dalliance with this. It could have been... Ali Sharuzmanov, and we could be in exactly the same situation that Chelsea are in right now, where our owner, having won the battle against Stan Kroenke um, and funded success or not success, I don't know, but, I mean, maybe not success when you consider what's happening to Everton. But, you know, we could be in a situation where the future of our football club, completely out of our hands even if we embraced the the money that came our way or looked the other way, whatever it is. I mean, how culpable are the, the fans in all this? On the one hand, like I said, you, you can't choose the owners, but also if you lie down with dogs, chances are you might get fleas. I feel sorry for them a little bit, but when I remember when, when they won the Champions League in Munich and they 
and that night and I was getting insanely jealous. I think to myself, you know, I can't be, i got to be honest and say that the thought has passed my mind. I wish we could find our own Abramovich to, so we can enjoy those days. If you're really honest as a fan, most of us would say, can someone come along and just give us all the money in the world so we can have all the best times in the world and enjoy ourselves? And you wake up and you sober up and you say, you know what, the way we are, the club we are, the values by which we run, it's tough, it's painful, mm. particularly Wenger's thousands games seem to pop to my mind. It's extremely painful, but there is a better way to do this. And we, there was a period, remember, Andrew, we, we were waiting for financial fair play to kick in and mm. we put these lot in their place. It never really happened. And, and what's generally happened, the Chelsea have opened the door for a new model, a new way of working that Man City have followed up to a degree, PSG have followed up to a degree, Newcastle are about to follow. There have been smaller versions of this in, within the Championship and lower down the league. It's opened up a model which the Premier League has thrived upon. Mm. Right? And also sat there, you know, for various things that have happened in our period, with management, ownership. And we, we sort of stabilised and drifted for a while, and now we're waking up. But I, I don't know, like I said earlier, I think, what does this mean for the Premier League? The Premier League needs to have a good look at itself. It really does. Before someone looks at it and takes their regulation away, I think it's very important. It's a very important juncture in the Premier League history, what it does now. Mm. You know, because the sanctions are in place. What does that mean? Chelsea is not like a normal business. It's a, a moving thing, right? There's a, there's a fixture next week and a fixture the week after. What does that mean for players? What does that mean for fans be able to go to watch their club. I mean, this is a massive, massive topic, all driven by the fact, I think, we looked the other way and didn't ask enough questions when you first reached our shores. You said, and I think it will probably resonate with a lot of people, you know, the idea that we could have our own Abramovich, we could have somebody else who could come along and fund the transfers and the wages which drive success. I mean, I think that's probably a thought that has occurred to to not just Arsenal fans, but to every football fan, because we're in a situation right now where the Premier League has created an environment in which that is maybe not the only way to compete, but one of the main ways to compete is not like, okay, how can we build a sporting organization? How can we grow something organically? How can we develop players? How can we improve incrementally? They they have basically stripped that away from football and the pursuit of wealthy owners, whether they're nation states or oligarchs or billionaires. And again, you know, we all know Arsenal have a billionaire owner, so I'm not saying yeah. we're not part of this. But we see it, you know, at Newcastle, I think, right now, where they were a club who hated their owner and they they probably would have been happy with anyone else other than Mike Ashley but the anyone else they got was the Saudi public invest uh, investment fund which has more money than fucking all the oligarchs put together you know yeah. so when you say the premier league has got to take a look at itself i mean has that horse not bolted at this point um regulation if it is going to happen has to be independent at this point because how can you ask the people who have broken the thing to fix it and have any faith or trust in their ability to do what is the right thing because 
throughout this period, this 20 years that Abramovich kicked the door open and changed English football and, and football across Europe forever, these people have looked the other way. And they've, they've, they've based their decisions on how can people like this enrich us individually as an organization, as a way of generating funds, as a way of ring fencing as much of the money that's out there in sport, broadcasting, commercial sponsorships, all of those things. And that has been their primary motivation. And I think it applies to UEFA. I think it applies to FIFA as well, where something like financial fair play, which in essence is a good idea has been completely and utterly toothless. At what point can we as football fans begin to think about the game or is it just too late? I think it's too late up to a point. And you, when you said the words look the other way, I think that's that's where lots of people or many people should have a little bit of shame right now, you know, because we look the other way because it suits us. It suits us financially. If you're If you're a Sky TV, it suits you to look the other way mm. because you're, you're you're seeing increased competition come to your product which means people are going to want to watch it more which means you can sell more dishes have more advertising it works you create hyperinflation that drives clubs to follow a similar model up to a point that manifests itself into a potentially something like a derby county you know they're chasing the dream and look where they are right now on the edge potentially you know or vulnerable to an owner to come along and buy them beneath their value so it drives a way of operating. And we're part of it. We're part of the show. And then it drove, potentially, the hyperinflation. Then other clubs couldn't deal with the the fact they couldn't compete with us. So where did the Super League idea come from? It's the next phase, mm. right? It's the next phase. So football is eating itself right now. It, it's eating itself. Now, from an Arsenal perspective, it's a, we're having a day of a sigh, a sigh of relief that there could be a reset, shall we say, a, re a reset in the hierarchy of the top end of the Premier League. We're not too sure what that's going to look like. We're not too sure. But, you know, Chelsea got three or four players right now in Aspilicueta, Rudiger and Christensen. They potentially could have re-signed. Would you re-sign with Chelsea right now? No. All those players? No. They're key defenders. They have 21 lone players out at the moment. Key players, young, exciting players. You're on the phone to your agent right now saying, where do I stand? What do I do? Where will I go? And whatever happens, that's going to create turmoil. We create turmoil for recruitment. That's making it very difficult. There's a young player out of Monaco called Tukameni that Chelsea were two to one favourite to get. An outstanding centre midfielder in the France first team at 18 already. Would he want to go to Chelsea now? He can't. Does that mean they can't well, he buy can't. anyone? Yeah, yet. exactly. Good point. He can't. Much like Eden Hazard, we were in for him. Maybe remember back in the day we were nearly yeah. close to getting him. He chose Chelsea. Why? Of course, you would choose Chelsea with the money available. We couldn't compete. Now, can we compete again? Does that reset the balance? Does that reset our transfer strategy for the summer? Because potentially players that we thought were untouchable are now gettable. Hmm. And so this really does have huge ramifications, not just for Arsenal, but for teams like Manchester United, Spurs and Liverpool and Man City, the competitors that can offer something similar to Chelsea. I think it's, Andrew, this is a big day, mate. This is a big day, a big day. And one we one we will not forget, I think. This is the start of something massive. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I just wonder, 
is it going to be one of those situations where it happens and everyone, you know, loses their shit and makes all the jokes on Twitter and it's great fun and everything else? And it is. And I'm, you know, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm not enjoying it to an extent because of the reasons that, that we have outlined. But then it becomes like this abstract thing. Um, like if you're, it was uh, like Eddie Howe was asked last week. Do you remember? I don't yeah. know if you saw, you saw, he was asked about, um, you know, what was going on at at, uh, at Chelsea. And he said, well, I can't answer anything that's about another football club. Ask me about this football club and, and uh, I'll talk to you about it. And then he was asked about, well, what about Saudi Arabia? They're involved in a war in, in their neighbours, in Yemen. Are you worried about um, that potentially having an impact on Newcastle Football Club at some point down the line? He was like, well, I, you know, I'm a football manager. I'm here to coach players. Or I can't talk about, you know, that kind of stuff. But at some point, you know, the conversation has to has to widen out to what is um, the right way, maybe not even the right way, but how do you address the issue of football club ownership in the Premier League and beyond? Because right now, Newcastle fans will be thinking, well, we're pretty safe. British government has got a very cozy relationship with Saudi Arabia, arms deals, all of those kind of things. They're not going to sanction those guys. But as we've seen, things can take an unexpected turn at some point, And maybe yeah. down the line, all of a sudden, it's Newcastle's ownership that are being sanctioned. And then where do Newcastle stand? And, you know, there is a bigger discussion to be had about football clubs and owners and what the responsibilities are of the authorities or the people who are running the game to to safeguard it in a way, to look after it so that whatever you think about Chelsea, maybe you'll laugh your head off if Chelsea go into administration and go out of existence. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll be sad uh, that a club like Chelsea has gone out of business. But whatever side of that you're on, surely there has to be some serious discussion about the ownership of football clubs and what the consequences of that ownership could be whether it's now or down the line. I, I totally agree. You know what, as you were talking there, you know what made me realise? It made me think, actually, who are, who are the game spokesperson? So what, what's going to happen now? So when Arteta does his next press conference, we're going to be talking about this, aren't we? Mm. We're going to be talking about this. Who are the game spokesperson? They're just the managers. The head of the Premier League, is it Richard Masters, the head of the Premier League? I think that's yeah. his name. I'm not sure yeah. if it's his name. Have, have you ever heard his voice? No. I can't remember what he sounds like. Right, no. so who are the game's leaders? The game's leaders to us are the managers and some of the key players. They're the yeah. things that we care about. They're not skilled to talk about this. So who is going to talk for the game? It could be Gary Neville again. Who is going to talk for the game? <laughs> there, there is a, what's the word I'm looking at? There's a gap there. There's a huge gap mm. there. And someone needs to fill it. And it needs to be organisational. And it's been missing. Whether you call it independent regulation, which was a great word, there needs to be something there that speaks for the game, you know, and, and not just individuals, which who cannot help but be driven by their own needs mm. and what they care about the most. And so we've got a gap there, Andrew. We've got a real gap. And when there's a gap, it's when governments step in. You know, and that's what worries me. <laughs> remember, remember we, post the Super League, we were talking about um, Tracy Crouch's Football Review. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Football Review? I'm, 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 I'm not sure I've seen it yet, or I'm not sure it's hard-hitting, I'm not sure where it is, but I didn't expect much. And if it lands, I don't expect anything, right? So I just think there's a gap there that, that football could be arbitrage, it could be in trouble, 
unless it gets hold of itself and and creates an organization which really does drive proper regulation to regulate itself otherwise it's going to get regulated yeah and and i have to say like this iteration of the british government is not one that i would particularly be um i wouldn't hold out a great deal of hope on what they do being in the best interest of football you know um yeah it's 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 a crazy one isn't it it really is yeah let's not go there with the british government right because sure um, (laughs) sure it's just uh there's there's a number of people there that look very over promoted to me so um that's a very diplomatic way of putting it clive let me say that um well look we'll we'll wait and see what happens with chelsea and you know what the implications are going to be for them as a football club what it might mean for the Premier League, what it might mean for us, of course. It hasn't been a particularly good week for clubs um, involved in a pretty heavy way with sports washing. Um, I'm thinking of what happened at the Bernabeu on Wednesday night, PSG leading 2-0 on aggregate against Real Madrid and completely losing their heads. Um, What Benzema did was fantastic. Luka Modric... There's there's a one that got away. I remember way back in the day, way back in the day, somebody like I've never held myself up as a transfer market ITK or anything like that, and I never will be. And the person who told me this is somebody who I trust implicitly about information about Arsenal, and they're not uh, an ITK in any way, but we were so very, very interested in Luka yeah. Modric before before he went um, and sullied the early part of his career um, at that football club in particular. But, I mean, 36 years of age, what a player still. He looks good. And I remember that exact period. Of, I think we went for Eduardo at the same time. I think they were playing at the same club. I think They, they were. were, yeah. They were close, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and we were close to getting in. Maybe some people thought he was too small. I think that's <laughs> what the issue was. I think yeah. genuinely, I think that's what the issue was, yeah. I think he was too small. So, um, yeah, I think, I remember watching a game last night and thinking, cracking, we really look like a bunch of old men. They're going to get killed here. And um, and suddenly it just changed. And the history of the PSG just reappeared, <laughs> right? So... Uh, <laughs> It's the history of the PSG. (laughs) The history of the PSG just metamorphosized right in front of our (laughs) eyes. And and world-class defenders just started thrashing at the ball. Yeah. I mean, it was just incredible to watch, you know. And um, and then you go back to the Sometimes money can get you so far, right? But unless you have intelligence, organization, good Mm. people, um, understand how to mesh people together not just create Galactico teams. Sure. Because during that period when Real Madrid were on top, uh, PSG's front three were not on my TV screen. They were somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And PSG, you know, were playing with eight men, basically. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, A team kind of is made up in many different ways. As we discover through Arsenal fans right now, we potentially have one and we can see what it looks like. Mm. And we've also had a few years not seeing a team quite beyond the same shall we say yeah and so we can spot these differences really easy I was watching that game last night um, and I have to say over the last couple of years I've been a bit indifferent towards Champions League football um, I, I think it's mainly a, maybe a, a self-protection thing you watch this tournament that we were in for so many years and we've not been there and it's like well if I don't watch it it doesn't exist so therefore we can't be in it so uh, but I was watching 
I was watching this last night and, um, you know, I watched Mbappe and I saw him score that first goal and, you know, Jesus, it's just like watching Henri and his pomp doing what Henri did. I know a lot of people are, are like, goalkeeper should have done better with that, but like yeah. just the, the precision and clinical nature of that finish, um, I don't think that's a goalkeeping mistake. I think he made the goalkeeper look a little bit lame there with just the the most incredible uh, piece of finishing, right? But 2-0, and like you, I was thinking, well, this is just going to be all over. It'll be a stroll. Look at the the experience. Look at the quality the PSG have in their squad. Like Real Madrid, yeah, they can do that. But look, they, like they're old. And then they did what they did. And by the end of the game, um, as much as I was laughing at PSG, and I was, and I actually I am still laughing at PSG. I'm laughing at uh, pretty much everything about them and their organization and their their ability to fail in ways that nobody thought possible, um, despite all the money and everything else that has gone into them. I find the whole yeah. thing fucking hilarious. Um, I was kind of excited about the idea of of Arsenal being back at Champions League level again. And, you know, I look and I see teams and I go, people will say there's a gulf. Arsenal couldn't do that. I'm thinking, well, we could definitely do what PSG did last night. That's for sure yeah. if we were back in the Champions League. But it sort of reignited something in me and I'm 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 trying to temper it a little bit. But But what we've got to play for over the next couple of months is so huge for this football club, not just as a football club for the players, for the team, for its development, but I think for us as fans as well, something that we can truly get excited about. I know Champions League group stages might not be the the be-all and end-all, but the idea of those big European nights coming back to the Emirates and going away from home and playing perhaps in big stadiums and, and taking on good opposition, because I do think if you're going to develop as a football club and as a team, and if these players are going to develop, it's like when you bring a young player up to train with the first team. They need that extra level to go the extra level themselves. Yeah, I think since we last been in the Champions League, I think what's, what's happened to the world? We've gone through a pandemic, for one. Mm. And um, a lot of the leagues that we, the big five leagues, I don't think as financially strong as they were when we were there. You know, And so, so we have a chance if we do get back in we come back into a into a framework, an ecosystem, which is not as quite as strong as it once was. Mm. And the Premier League is well positioned, given the fact that one member has been weakened today. There are clubs ready and waiting to take that slot. You know, so if you look at, you know, obviously ourselves, Spurs, West Ham, you know, they've all got new infrastructure. Aston Villa, good ownership, new ownership. You know, there's, there's people ready and waiting to take that slot. We, we don't talk about Leicester anymore all of a sudden, but at the start of the season, mm. none of us thought we'd finished above Leicester, you know, and a bright club, you know, with good recruitment, good young players, young manager. Things change very quickly, obviously, but the Premier League is strong and the Spanish League is having a bit of a reset because they're, they're having a financial reset in their world. Um, the Bundesliga, we all know there's, there's a pyramid and one team at the top and everyone else feeds that team. You know, and so, you know, there is an opportunity if Arsenal were to get back into the Champions League to really not say make, make a decent impact. I don't look at the level and say, I don't think we can compete. I think we can compete. 
I think most of the top seven or eight Premier League teams can compete at the Champions League mm. level. It's just that sustainability week on week and what it does to your squad. Right now, our squad is quite light. If you go to Champions League, we're going to have to lift the quality and lift the numbers slightly. So we can manage three games a week, three top quality games a week. Yeah, We're coming up to a week of three games in six days. And we all got a little bit of nervousness about that. Because you know, we haven't done that for a while. Yeah, right? yeah, and, um, yeah. Sunday to Saturday morning. And, you know, we're all like doing how many points we're going to get in our minds. You know, it's, it's a challenge. And it's a, it's a new challenge for us. We were accustomed to that challenge for many, many years. We've not been able to sustain multiple competitions with consistent performances. And that's why we finished eight for two years on a trial. So that is the next challenge for us as a group. But I think we could do it long as we, I think we're positioned to recruit. I think we have a culture and environment which can attract people. And so, yeah, I think this is, the club needs this, Andrew. Yeah. In the next 12 to 14 months, we need this step for sure. Well, I agree. Um, it was interesting to hear Mikel Arteta talk about this summer, whatever happens between now and the end of the season uh, and wherever we end up. And obviously I hope we end up um, in the top four. Um, but he talked about this summer being more important than last summer when it comes mm. to the progress in the development of the team, what we do in the transfer market, um, how you raise the level. Uh, because I think he probably thought last summer, if we can do the kind of business that that uh, I want to do, it's stabilizing for the team in a way. Like the focus was primarily on defensive positions. Like goalkeeper, yeah. three defenders, uh, a developing number six midfield player, and Martin Odegaard is the only uh, attacking player. But it feels quite different this time around. We know that there is a a centre forward, at least one required. Um, yeah. That's a discussion I think we can have um, maybe closer to the end of the season because, you know, what we have, we hold right now and we've got to use what we've got to to get the goals. Um, but clearly it's a position that everybody's really interested in and I'm fascinated to see what kind of player they go for or what kind of players they go for in those attacking yeah. positions but the next obvious one for me is is central midfield and I'm going to steal an idea here from from Audi who's on the Ars blog forum um, who said this he said this is the first time in a while that I felt we're really ready to upgrade on Xhaka and it would take the team up a level now I know that's going to drive some people mad the idea that like you know we couldn't improve on Xhaka but I don't think that is the point that he's making I think when we look back at the, the the squads that we've had, the roster of central midfielders made Xhaka really quite important because we didn't have the quality there. We didn't have the depth or the experience or whatever it might be. So if you want to talk about some of the players that have been, been and gone in those positions, they're not missed and Xhaka is still here. Yeah. Um, he goes on to say, regardless of his shortcomings, he always seemed like a net positive to have in our, our, our starting lineup. But the formation change, if we stick to it, opens the door for a much more appropriate midfielder. I still see a space for him in the squad, but I think we're ready for something else. And he sort of throws out, let's say, a Tielemans as as somebody who could play in that role that Jack is is playing in right now. So that feels like an important part of the puzzle to me because we know we need a striker and we know 
nuts and bolts what a striker is going to bring us and what what we're going to ask of that particular striker. But that midfield position is is going to be really, really important as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what's happened to Arsenal fans over the last couple of months. It shows you that our style of play has become quite defined because everyone can see now mm. that the team has developed maybe a little bit past Granit Xhaka's primary skill sets. And we can all see it all of a sudden. There's no debate. Right? So Xhaka can do a great job there. But we know there's a level of improvement. There's a ceiling and there's a level of improvement could, that could happen mm. if we were to get the right player. And so how do we play? 4-1-4-1, 4-3-3, 4-4-2 diamond, however you feel it, 4-4-2 off the ball. Um, yeah, it, it's just a matter of in possession, that player is asked to do more in the exterior, more in the interior and slightly higher up. And so the, the, the requirements have changed. They have changed. And there are players there hybrid players that can play 6-8, that can drop into a double pivot with Thomas Party, but also drive, connect, do one-twos, a bit of agility in possession, arrive in the box, finish. I mean, there are players that have those skills. I'm sure you've gone through a few yourself in your mind that um, we could see at Arsenal. And, and, and today's a, a day when we become potentially a little bit more attractive for players we didn't think we were going to get, you know. So um, I've got a couple in my mind. I've just, if I mention them, I'm going to get killed in your comments. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a couple in my mind that really stand out. And one is Jude Bellingham, for example, right? So whether he's ready to leave um, Dortmund this year or next summer, but you look at that player, you look at the project that we're building, and I think he's a great fit, you know. Mm. We mentioned Tukumeli at Monaco. Like, I don't know him as an individual. From a football perspective, great fit. You know, Tielemans is a bit more of a right eight for me, but nice player on the ball, a good fit. You know, there, there are so many players that are out there that can fit this role. It's going to be so interesting. I, I, like you, Andrew, I'm so excited to see what we land on because I think these are identity type players that say, okay, now I know exactly what we're trying to do. I can see what we've done. I can see that we're build up from the back is significantly better. We've got a goalkeeper that can move it. We've got central defenders happy on the ball, happy higher up. We got fullbacks can invert or go on the outside. We got a centre midfield dynamo that's refound his form. We got Martin Odegaard, the technical leader of the team. We got the best academy product we've ever produced, in my opinion, in Bakaya Saka flying at the moment. Young Smith Rowe, young Martinelli. We can all see the next phase. Mm. We can all see it. It's not often Arsenal fans agree on many things, right? <laughs> but we can all see what's next. And it's going to be so interesting to play a profile type that arrives yeah. that then really says what we stand for going forward. Myself and James had a, a small discussion on this on Monday because we were asked about Smith Rowe in that in that position that Jack is playing right mm. now. And, um, you know, Martin Odegaard is doing it after three full seasons at senior level, three loans and playing for Real Madrid as well and, and everything else. And he is those few years older. I mean, do you see his do you see his skill set in that particular position? Um I mean I look at him, I look at him on the ball, I look at his movement, I look at his um his awareness. Because I think that one of the things that we think about when um we, we we think about this particular position is, okay, what more can that player bring us from an attacking perspective? And I think that's fair yeah. because Xhaka is, um, you know, he is what he is. He's not got the quickest feet in the world. Let's be fair. Um, 
but there's other work that's required in that position. I know I'm saying this after he was caught out a little bit for the third what for goal or the second what for goal the other day where Sissoko ran off him a bit too easily but that is part of the job as well is is to be able to drop into those um, positions when let's say parties ahead of the ball it breaks down whatever it might be so there is a defensive element required to to that position too so on that basis I mean how do you see Smith Rowe's candidacy for for replacing Jacket in that position, or is it too soon in his career? Is he better served still in those wide areas? Uh, as we saw with Arsene Wenger many times, um, you know, he would play players out wide before he moved them central. Yeah, I, I swear on this one, Andrew, to be honest with you. I think I've discussed with Elio, and we say straight away, Elliot looks at it similar to yourself, he could potentially do that job. And when you think about him on the ball, he could absolutely do that job. Yeah. Absolutely do that job another side to the game off the ball <laughs> and uh, we're not so sure we've seen him as a double six throughout his youth career I've not seen him as one of those players mm. but how do Man City do it I always look to Man City as my reference point if we saw Man City line up with Rodri and Fernandinho we would go what are you doing you know they don't do yeah. that yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, so how do they compensate they compensate by having really aggressive defenders from the front so Raheem Sterling for example is a wonderful defender you know, they're all, you know, Bernardo Silva the same. They're all wired in exactly the same. We lose the ball, we massively press and we massively defend immediately. And what that allows, Andrew, it allows delaying time. It allows people to set themselves further back and you don't get transition through. Mm. And I think that is the key thing for us. So when we have a new centre forward, he'll be a good defender as well. You know, I, I see that coming. It'll be somebody that is going to lead the press. And that could be one of Lacazette's best attributes, actually, is his defending. You know, sometimes he's nowhere near the zone we want him to be. That's our frustration <laughs> when we don't win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I think the whole team way of defending will come in. And then suddenly we won't be looking at the holes in our midfield. We won't be challenging Mitch, um, Spiffro to be a Shaka clone, per se. We'll be looking at his attributes that we can all see ability to receive it, move it, turn around, make good decisions, but also drive with the ball, create one-twos and shoot. Mm. Why wouldn't we want that? At, at 2021, the only thing holding him back is his body, it seems to be at the moment. Um, when his body settles down and he seems to be growing and getting stronger, we can see him as a false nine, we can see him as a inside left, inside right, a number 10. I don't see it as a problem. I just can't wait to see how he develops and touch wood, he stays healthy so we can all see him play week on week going forward. Yeah, hopefully hopefully back this weekend, which we'll talk about now in a second. I just wanted to go to uh, the last couple of games and some of the, the slight defensive issues that we've had uh, at mm. the back. You know, we, we were careless and we lost a goal against... Wolves, um, I don't think we defended particularly well for the second goal against Watford. And Watford, you know, could have had a, a goal in the opening couple of minutes, um, but for a very tight offside. W- when you think about two central defenders of 24 years of age, um, yeah. do you worry when you see mistakes like that? Or are they a consequence or in- an inevitability when you're that age? And as we look forward to what's going to be a, a, a really busy um, six days there or thereabouts, do you feel like, okay, maybe we got those things out of the way? Maybe those are mistakes that 
they can take stock from because there's going to have to be a, a very significant amount of focus in these six days with the games that we've got against Leicester, Liverpool and, and Aston Villa. Mistakes are often a consequence of fatigue, lack of yeah. concentration more than more than ability. We know players who just aren't good enough, who can't defend, who fall over, who slide in, who go to ground, all those guys. We know those guys. I mean, their yeah. mistakes are, uh, are because of their own um, ineptitude or whatever you want to call it. But a lot of the time, when you make a mistake, it's because you've just switched off for a second. Um, yeah. This is something that we're going to have to ask of all of these players um, is keeping that focus for the next um, three games with with little or no time to sort of, it's game recovery, game recovery, game recovery. Yeah, exactly. I felt in the Watford game, I felt that we were so good offensively that we, we started to feel ourselves a little bit, you know what I mean by that? Mm. I think we, we knew we were better than them. Mm. We're stroking the ball around, we're flicking it around the corner, we're flowing forward. It's a sunny day, 3,000 Arsenal fans behind the goal. Mm. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. And it felt a bit like that. And we maybe disrespected the defensive side of the game, got a bit cocky and started playing diagonals where we could just play it forward, you know. And, and we got caught out right, and by a team that can transition very well. Their, their game plan was to definitely make sure they got the ball far away from their goal as possible, as quickly as possible. And Ben Foster kicked it away how many times during the game. And so we learned something. And sometimes, Andrew, you get a situation where you get a game like that, you get a little mini slap, we got the points, and that refocuses people for the next block of games, which we know are really important for the remainder of March, only one week. Mm. So we've had that little slap. It hasn't cost us anything. So that's going to refocus us. Maybe this is a sign of where we need to be next year because our two central defenders we, we all love. We don't want them rested, you know? We yeah, don't yeah, want them yeah. sitting down. And we want to get to a situation where actually if somebody is just on the edge and maybe showing a little bit of frailties, we can bring somebody else in mm. of equal quality, you know? And that's what we want to get to. And there's a, there's a guy playing in France at the moment that people will debate if he's quality enough or will ever play for Arsenal. But it's that situation in my mind we need to get to quite quickly so we mm. don't suffer... And we can rotate people and make sure they're ready for the key points in the season, which are upcoming real quick. And I had a little look at the fixtures the other day, and obviously the price is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and suddenly these fixtures look harder and harder and harder. You know? so, um, and so that focus, that mental energy, that mental fatigue, we need to keep that away, you know, the mm. fatigue angle, and dip into the energy reserves and make sure that we can keep our focus for the games upcoming. But Look at our recent football, and I'm sure you look at data like I do. We, we've done well recently. You know, we're the four team in the league, one of the four teams in Europe. You just got to continue it when it really matters. What, what do you think Mikel Arteta's message is going to be to his players for this week? Because it's not really a situation that we've had to deal with a great uh, on many occasions. Um, I'm looking back to December where we played on the 11th, the 15th, and the 18th, and we beat Southampton, West Ham, and Leeds in seven days. There was an earlier one, the 27th of November, 2nd of December, 6th of December, a longer period where we beat Newcastle and lost to, to Manchester United, lost to, to Everton. One of the, the themes of this season and perhaps one of the big benefits of this season has been, much to our frustration because we've been sitting around twiddling our thumbs with no football, is this period between games, the gap between games where whether the result is good or bad, 
they have the opportunity to work on things on the training ground. So if we've won, it's like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to build on that. If we've lost, it's like, okay, let's take stock, put that behind you. Let's focus on the next game. It's going to be a challenge for Arteta and for the players to lift themselves three times in a week. And I hope that that's what they can do. It's less than a week because as you say, it's Sunday, then uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. And then, of course, uh, it's Saturday morning. Well, Saturday early um, in the day, which is, yeah, a, a quirk, if you like, of, of the fixture list. Um, yeah. You know, but I mean, you can't really be um, challenged physically much more than that, physically and mentally. So how do you think he is going to approach this? I mean, do you see rotation, for example? I mean, how do you rotate when you're playing Liverpool? You want to play your best team when you're playing Liverpool, but you want to play Liverpool when you've come off the back of a good result against Leicester, and I know they've had a difficult time, but Leicester are Leicester are, you know, a decent team on their day. They've got some good players, as we know, so you're going to have to go full strength for Leicester, full strength for Liverpool, and then what? Just take stock for Villa? You can't take anything for granted against Villa either. You know, we know they've got players who can hurt us, so it's going to be a very interesting, you know, an interesting few days for Arteta, not to mention the fact that this is not a deep squad anyway. It's not a deep... You look at the bench against Watford, it's like there's two players on there you'd bring on. You know, as a choice. Well, one even. Pepe's probably the only one. And Kedia for Lacazette, when a game you think is won, that's fine. But there's no, there aren't game changers per se in any great depth on that bench either, you know? The good thing about these three games is the first two are at home. Mm. And um, the home atmosphere is pretty special at the moment. And I think we can we can give it everything in those first two games. And I, I don't see... Um, Mikel not trying to do Pep a favour against Liverpool. He's going to give you everything on that Wednesday. And um, so Leicester, the first one, and he seems to be in the mode of literally one training session at a time, one game at a time. And he's really, really adamant about that. All his messaging is very much about stages. I think, and I feel, Andrew, that since we come back from Dubai, there's been a new focus in the team and you can sense it. They all seem to know what the targets are, what the goals are, and they're focused on it absolutely 100%. And that's how I feel when I'm watching them. I just see a team that really wants to get to the next level and there's an opportunity there and they want to seize it. I think another thing that's happened this season, I think maybe as fans we don't always appreciate it, is training time. Mm. You know, time on the training pitch. And I I can see an Arsenal team from maybe, say, Everton away to team we're watching now. It's massively different. It's more cohesive, it's more aggressive, more aggressive, sorry. Mm. It's playing in different areas of the pitch. We are, we're, we're building in wide areas, but we're crushing the central zone. We are sprinting inside. We're arriving in the box. We're crashing the box. We're holding people in. The energy's gone up. That hasn't just happened. That's happened because we've had time to work on it as a unit together, and it's been transmitted onto the pitch. It's been, now it's been believed in because the results are telling us this is the right way to play. Training time, seeing players develop is massively important. And, you know, we watch it, just take Bukai Saka, for example. We had, he's a good player, right? We, we know that. But what he's doing now is just next level, right? And that's happened because he's had time to rest, potentially. Mm. He's been coached in a different way. He's much more aggressive. His positional rotation in the, in the what the game was better, picking the ball up in central areas and shooting early. I mean, 
we can all see his shooting improvement. Well, how do you think that happens? It happens because he's practiced it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we, we we need to really give the coaching staff credit for the individual coaching and the team coaching because we're not done. We're watching something different to what we've seen even at the start of the season. It's, it's just... It's continuously improving, mate. Yeah, just just finally, I mean, on that, you talk about Bakayo Saka, but it strikes me that someone like Gabriel Martinelli as well is a huge beneficiary of yeah. of this. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago that people were talking about how Mikel Arteta hated Gabriel Martinelli, how he didn't like him, yeah. he didn't fancy him, he didn't want to play him. When publicly, pretty much everything Arteta said about Martinelli was, he's we love him, he's great, but we've got to make sure that he's ready before we stick him in the team. And there were then the the comparisons with the way Phil Foden, for example, was held back at Manchester City, where their fans were going, Jesus Christ, this fucking boy is brilliant. Get him in the team. We want to see yeah. him because he's he's fantastic. And like the more he plays, the, the better he'll be. Surely that's the way it works. But I think perhaps what we're seeing is that there is a there is a right time to bring a player through. There are ways to integrate them into a team. And look, his minutes perhaps are somewhat aligned with the the absence of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yeah. There's an element of that to it. And maybe he's in what they might consider a little bit ahead of schedule. But as part of the development process for young talent, I think the manager is, is kind of justified with the way he's handled that situation because not only is he getting more out of Martinelli, he's getting more out of Saka and he's getting probably more out of Smith Rowe than anybody would have thought so far this season because, you know, when he took the 10, Arteta said, there's responsibility with this number. You've got to you've got to create and you've got to score goals when you wear the number 10 at Arsenal and, and yeah. Smith-Rowe wanted it. But at the same time, how you, how you train, how you coach, how you instruct those players plays a very big part in, in how well they're going to do. Yeah, if you think back to the days of, not just Christmas, Christmas before, when Smith-Rowe and Martelli arrived in that Chelsea game, they had a responsibility then that was thrust upon them, not just to play mm. well as, as young men, but to pick up a team that's gone through a really rough period. And they managed to do it. Smith for a little bit longer. Martelly broke down. And so I've always been worried, Andrew, that we overburdened them and we expect too much. But every time I look at the TV screen, they're celebrating goals in the corner of the pitch, right? Or, <laughs> and it's like, there comes a point you've got to say, well, actually... Not only are they managing responsibility, they're leading us back to a level that we've become accustomed to up until four or five years ago. Yeah. And, um, and so now I'm thinking, okay, the next phase is to support these guys to make sure we can sit them down on occasion because none of us want to see Bukaya Saka arrested at the moment. Mm. And, I, and I worry about that. I generally do. I'd like to see a situation when we can do something, but he's just so good, right? So... Um, but I want to make sure we protect young men's careers. We don't overplay them when they're young and they're growing and they're developing. Um, and, I, and I think we have to just uh, hopefully we can get to the next phase of our recruitment so we can underpin these guys. But yeah, I told you, we have to sit back with Marcelli. So far, so good, right? With Smith Rowe, so far, so good. We're pretty mm. unfortunate. It's working really, really well. And and so now we need to make sure we underpin with the right recruitment. And I think I, I, based on last summer, 
I think we're quite we're all quite excited. We might get it right again, yeah. you know. And yeah, uh, yeah. and that's the most exciting thing, really. We the hope index has gone up, Andrew, isn't it? Yeah, that's going forward, that is for sure. And look, this season when you're only playing. 38 Premier League games and we've we played whatever amount of cup games we played some EFL Cup games and one round of the FA Cup the the question of being burdened I don't think is really at the forefront of our minds but next season let's keep everything crossed that we can get into the Champions League it's not like the Europa League where you can ghost through the group stages where you can use it as a a, a training ground if you like for kids to get their experience. As we saw over the last number of years, you know, when we were in there, how many kids made their bows in the Europa League? Saka, Smith Rowe, Maitland Niles, Joe Willock, Reese Nelson, Eddie Nketiah, all got minutes in the Europa League that they would never get if Arsenal were playing in the Champions League. So if we are in the Champions League, the question of how much you can put on these players, because they're having to play three games a week for a period of two or three months and then the festive schedule and then yeah. the World Cup and then, you know, all of that kind of stuff next season is is going to require that deeper squad. So, yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. And I think um, Champions League, I think, it, I, like I said, I do think we'll be seeded. I don't think it's a strong... Oh, hey, we're talking like we're in it now, aren't we? Well, I, I think we're slipping the tongue there, right? But if we do qualify, if, I, yeah, think yeah. We'll be, I think we'll be seeded and I think we'll be in a good place. But yeah, I totally agree. We have to make sure we have the right squad quality to underpin the talent that we have. Sure. We don't want to see another Jack Wilshire situation happen where we overplay the young man. And really, I think, I'll say, we hindered his career, shall we say, potentially, by misdiagnosis of injuries or him wanting to play when maybe he wasn't ready to play. And that, that also happens, you yeah. know, because you recognise someone's importance and we want to make sure that doesn't happen. For sure. Well, look, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. We are saying if, and look, it's all there to play for, and that's um, the exciting part of what remains uh, of this season. That really is... you know, something that I think we can all get invested in and and keep fingers crossed for. So let's hope we get there. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Clive, thanks as always. Thank you very much. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you very much indeed to Clive. You'll find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC, at Clive PAFC. And of course, he is part of the Arsenal Vision podcast crew. So that is pretty much that for this particular Arscast. Um, Mikel Arteta has a press conference tomorrow. 
Friday. We'll, of course, cover that on our Splug News, and we will cover that and preview the Leicester game with more detail over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Splog, our regular Premier League preview podcast. When we've got more information from the manager, we've got some quotes, we've got some team news and all that kind of stuff. For now, I will just thank you, as always, for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. James and I, of course, will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra looking back on whatever happens against Leicester on Sunday. But do join us on Patreon for the preview podcast. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. And here, amazingly, in one of the great capital cities of the world, we find ourselves in a barren wasteland. As life thrives everywhere else, here, there is nothing. Where once stood a great cathedral to the sport of football, now there are merely weeds among the rubble. It is as if the earth itself has been salted. Nothing will ever grow here again. The only sign of life is a downtrodden man who, despite the street being completely clear, has parked in a space designated for disabled drivers. He sits forlorn in the rain, his sodden coffee cup in front of him, seeking coins from passers-by. Beside him, a barely legible homemade sign scrawled on a cardboard box, reading Cartoon Apes. Buy one, get twenty free. But there are no passers-by, and nobody wants Cartoon Apes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.